0: We live in a culture that takes the edge off of biblical truth. We have the benefits of the covenant without the responsibilities. We have the goodness of God without the severity. We have the power of God without the purity. We have the love of God without the wrath. If God is holy and we as born again Christians are his children, can we be holy? And does God require that of us? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning in to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 fm. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, GabTV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You will find us in person every Sunday at noon, uh, weather permitting, and I'm not sure how much longer we're going to be out on the square. I just keep saying that. We're taking it one step at a time, but you can find us every Sunday in the Wilkesbury Public Square at noon. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now, let's listen in on today's briefing. Last time we were talking about holiness and the divine nature of God. You know, this is where holiness comes from, obviously, because God is holy. Um, Today we're going to be talking about holiness and the divine will. And uh, I had mentioned this in the first one that I've done in this series. This is based off of this book, uh, Be Ye Holy by Leslie Wilcox. Um, You can probably buy that uh, online somewhere. It is an excellent book, um, and so I use his scriptures and outlines there. And I may add and take away certain things here and throughout, but I do want to give credit to whom credit is due. Um, Holiness is an issue in our day. It used to be more across the board that people were not arguing against holiness. It used to be that if you were a Christian, you lived a holy life. However, now we've got to drill into this because a whole lot of people are trying to argue that we don't need to live a holy life uh, because Jesus paid it all. And, um, The problem is, is there's some truth mixed in with that, that we are not trying to, in our own righteousness, live with God, but we are empowered by the Spirit of God. Not only does he impute holiness or righteousness to us, but he imparts it to us. We actually are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. So um, why is holiness necessary? Just a little bit of a review. Um, We are to be holy, First and foremost, because the scripture says God is holy. That in and of itself would be sufficient without having any other obligation in the scripture. The sole fact that God says, I'm holy, so you be holy, that should really end the argument. But is that where the scripture stops? Does the scripture bring out more than just God saying he's holy, therefore you should be holy? Well, there are various other things to consider, two of which I'd like to just bring out now that God opposes sin in his creatures, and his people. And I say his creatures because, uh, distinguished from his people, because if we say God opposes sin in his people, then that would give the idea that God only hates sin inside of Christians. Well, God hates sin inside of his creatures, all people, no matter whether they're Christians or not. Also, God demands uh, their holiness to meet his approval. And then we see, if I try and act holy or live right and holy, there's another place in scripture in Isaiah where it says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And talking about the um, Pharisees and other religious people of that time, um, we read that it says that they went about trying to establish their own righteousness, but we're not receiving the righteousness of God, which is by faith through Jesus Christ. So God demands our holiness or people's holiness to meet his approval. There's only one way to do that. So why is holiness necessary? Because God is holy, because he opposes sin in his creatures, and he demands that our holiness meets his approval. So let's first talk about the condemnation of sin in men. So that's where we start, and we can go all the way back into Genesis where this happens, where at the fall of Adam and Eve— God takes them from the Garden of Eden, which is a paradise on earth, and they are barred from the Garden of Eden. They are cast out, and we can see that it's because of sin that they are cast out. So it starts all the way back there. And then we see from there uh, the problem between Cain and Abel, where Cain uh, committed the first murder in the Scripture and killed his brother Abel out of jealousy, and uh, there was a curse then pronounced upon Cain. God condemns sin in men. In a much broader way, we can look at, uh, see the message of the prophets. The message of the prophets was always calling God's people to repentance and to live holy because they were living in idolatry and they were adopting the teachings and values of the nations around them instead of living the way God wanted them to. And so we look at the uh, the lessons from the history of Israel, really. I mean, I was even thinking if we go back into the time of uh, noah god said he looked around the entire earth and it was filled with wickedness and there was only one man who was righteous and so he and his family were pulled in and they were saved on the ark and then things were restarted from that point onwards we see the tower of babel happening about 100 to 120 years after that where people were trying to make a tower to get to heaven and to make a name for themselves and we see god condemning their idolatry and sin And we see this repeated over and over and over. Sin is always looked on in a bad light from God's perspective. We see then Israel in the time of the judges where they had no king, it said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We see much farther along eventually after the kings of uh, Israel and Judah were acting so wickedly um, for generations, God finally said he had had enough And he sent the people, his people, into exile in Babylonian captivity. So we see God condemns sin in people. Jesus, we see later when he comes on and expounds the deepest meaning of what the law always meant really, but we didn't see it. Jesus then deepens and enforces the law when he gives the Sermon on the Mount because the Pharisees thought that everything was fine and they were, you know, keeping God's law and they were really the holy people. And yet Jesus said, you've heard it said before that thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you look at, if if you have anger in your heart towards another person, you've committed murder already. And then he said, uh, you've heard it been said that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after another woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. And so Jesus took their superficial understanding of the law and brought it right down to the the whole marrow of the matter, which was that the law was always calculated to teach that we needed a heart religion, not just a religious system of rules. God condemns sin in men. Here's some scriptures that we can look through um, conveying these points. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why would God tell the unrighteous or the wicked to forsake their way, their way of wickedness and unrighteousness, if God didn't require holiness in us as people? He's saying it because he wants us to separate ourselves from wickedness and to then give ourselves to holiness, to righteousness, to Christ. Uh, Isaiah 59 verses one through two, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, excuse me, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So here we find God hates sin. We find that He's telling us that we need to separate from sin. And then we find that God hides his face from those that are living in sin because God is holy and there's no fellowship with holiness and wickedness. And so God is commanding that we are to depart from that. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, very familiar verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So now he's saying to a nation, you are under judgment because of your sins. And the way out of this is to repent of your sins and of your wickedness and to turn to God, which is turning from wickedness and unholiness to righteousness and holiness. We see it here as he speaks to an entire nation. Matthew Chapter 7, verse 19. Jesus says, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. This is speaking about people who are living in sin. Their lives are just putting out the fruit of sin around them. And we're told that the way God looks at it is He cuts the tree down right at the stump and then it's cast into the fire. And this is an allusion to us being cast into the eternal fire of hell if we do not repent, if we do not walk in truth and righteousness and in holiness. Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is against those that live in wickedness. And specifically from this verse in Romans 1.18, his wrath is held towards people that know better and continue to live in wickedness. God hates sin. This is a reason for us to be holy. He hates sin in his creatures, as I had mentioned in the beginning. But Romans 6, one through two, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, that's what you're gonna hear a lot On Christian radio, Christian books. Uh, Sorry to say, I think probably the largest percentage of so-called evangelical or Christian churches throughout our land would tell us that this is their mantra, even though they could read the same Bible and realize that this isn't so. But they live in such a way like they would continue in sin that grace may abound. So Paul asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid, very strong language, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That speaks of a life of sin transferring over to a life of holiness through faith in Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith in the man, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who atoned for our sins. 2 Thessalonians two ten through 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here we find that people that have pleasure in unrighteousness, God gives them up to their own wicked desires, and they are damned because of their unbelief. And their unbelief is evidenced by their wicked lifestyle. And so holiness is what God is after in people. So God hates sin in people, but then God also gives direct commands to people to be holy. Romans 6, 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or weakness of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so... Now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So there's a stark difference if you're going to be a Christian. He's saying remember how when you were um a, a sinner, when you lived in wickedness, you just yielded yourself to those wicked impulses and desires and you ended up living a life of sin. He said with the same kind of devotion that you had towards wickedness and sin, Just turn your efforts in the other direction. Live a life of righteousness and of holiness. Yield yourself to God so that you're no longer used for wicked purposes. You can see that through a lot of these um, verses here, the idea now that Jesus just sees me in rose-colored glasses and Jesus paid it all so now I can live however I want, it really flies in the face of so much of what the scripture teaches, the entire tenor of scripture, plus very explicit statements or commands. So he says, to be holy, yield yourselves servants to righteousness unto holiness. 1 Peter 1.15, which we've spoken about in previous ones, but as he which hath called you is holy, that's God, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is a command. We are to be holy because God is holy. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, GabTV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So now we're going to be looking at some commands that were given, whereby one has got to be holy in order to obey them. So we find purity commanded in the scriptures. We look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. How could you or I obey that except we are holy? First Peter one twenty two, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, that is genuine love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So it says purified soul by obeying the truth through the Spirit and then to love with a pure heart fervently and to have real genuine love how can that be possible unless we are living holy unless god makes us holy also we find that perfection is commanded and this is a scary word for a lot of people but if the bible uses those terms then we've got it's our due diligence to look into it and say well he commanded it what does it mean so genesis 17:1 and when abraham was 90 years old and 9 so 99 years old The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, either God is being incredibly cruel to Abraham, or he's commanding him to be and to do something that is within his reach. So God says to Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. We're told in the scriptures uh, in Matthew, I believe in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So we find it in the old covenant, we find it in the new covenant. God means something and that's why he says it. Uh, And there, I've already got it here, Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. So perfection is commanded. How can that be possible except a life of holiness and a heart of holiness is reality? How can that happen? God is commanding us to be holy through these things. Then we also have love commanded. So Jesus said in uh, Matthew 20 to 37, Jesus said unto him, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. How can anyone do that except they're living holy? Because if I'm living in sin, I'm not loving him with all of my being. We read in, let's see here, Romans thirteen eight through ten, owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This true divine love, which, if you look in the original Greek, Greek is agape, divine love, a love by by choice, a love because we love God. Um, how can we live right except we're holy? How can we love the way God wants us to love, uh, live the way that God wants us to live, unless we're holy? How can we love the way that God wants us to love unless we are holy? And remember what I said in the beginning: this is not a holiness that is fabricated from our own being. It the, the Spirit of God creates in us a holy heart if we let Him, but also it is a cooperative effort where the Spirit of God speaks to us, shows us what we need to do, and then when we obey, His grace is there to make real the very thing that He's asking us to do. We read in Colossians 3.14, and above all these things, put on charity, that is love, which is the bond of perfectness. How in the world can I live like that? unless God is commanding me to be holy, and unless he can do it and can make it real. Also, we read that the Holy Spirit, he has inspired the apostles to exhort men to live holy. So if God did not want, didn't mean for us to be holy, why then are the inspired apostles commanding us to be that way? That's cruel. God is a tyrant. That is, of course, unless he really does want us to be holy, which I believe the Bible clearly teaches. So the Holy Spirit has inspired the apostles to exhort men to live holy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I just need to stop for a moment. There's some that say that we're holy in our spirit, but because we live in this sinful flesh, uh, we're not gonna be able to live truly holy. It's more of like a, a, an inward knowledge of holiness, that imputation of holiness and not actual holiness. This verse flies in the face of that. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. It's an, it's an entire person. By the way, the Bible does not teach that this meat and bones is evil. God created us and he said, it's good. We were good, but there's a problem within us in our heart in the deepest place of us that's corrupted, and that needs to be taken care of. Uh, Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So here we see repentance from dead works is something that's already taken place, and he's telling Christian people to go on to perfection, a life of holiness, of righteousness before God. The inspired apostle writes this down. The Holy Spirit inspires these apostles. Then in Second Peter 3, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, that's the world and everything in it, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So there we find a command and exhortation unto holiness by a Holy Spirit-inspired apostle. Another reason, holiness is necessary to fit one for heaven. In order for us to be able to even enter the gates of heaven, we've got to be holy, because nothing unholy or unclean can be in that place. So we read in Psalms uh, 24, 3-4, through 4, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. That is fairly clear. Then Matthew five eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here we find that again. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews twelve fourteen. That's that is such a clear, stark statement. Without holiness. Nobody will see the Lord. We will not be able to enter heaven. That seems so clear. Um, And and it's supposed to be clear. God wants us to be holy. Uh, Let's see here. Revelation 20, verse six. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we find holiness is the one are the ones that are going to gain entrance in this first resurrection revelation 21 27 and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the lamb's book of life so there we have it you can't you can't enter heaven if you're going to defile it if you work an abomination abomination if you make a lie you have to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And those that are written in the Lamb's book of life live a holy life because Jesus has done something supernaturally in their heart and life for that to be a reality. Revelation twenty two fourteen, Blessed are they that do his commandments, do, that they might have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So that implies that if you do not live righteousness, if your deeds are wicked, that you do not have a right to the tree of life and you may not enter into the gates of the city of heaven. This is very important for us to understand in these days. We cannot walk around being fooled, thinking that we can live a wicked and a sinful life, and yet somehow Jesus is gonna overlook that and we're gonna go in. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. He's come to destroy sin inside of the lives of his people, inside of the lives of anyone who will repent, confess their sins, believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he's after in every one of us. Compare also these two scriptures, Matthew 7, 21 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And if you go on, he lists off a few other things. A life of holiness is what he is after. Um, And the holiness is necessary for us to even enter heaven. God's call. Includes holiness. First Thessalonians four seven. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He calls us to holiness. Uh, his dealings with his children are intended to produce holiness. We read in Hebrews twelve ten. For they verily or truly for a few days that's our fathers, our earthly fathers chastened us after their own pleasure, but he God for our own profit that we might might be partakers of his holiness. That doesn't sound just like an imputation. You and I are partakers of his holiness. Compare these two scriptures Romans 8:29 and Hebrews 7:26. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate for what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, that is to be conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then in Hebrews 7:26, for such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. That's Hebrews 7:26. The Spirit inspired prayers for holiness. The, uh, the prayer of Christ for all who believe on him in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then compare the chapters 14 through 16 of uh, John. Jesus teaches his disciples of a deeper need, which he there calls their, uh, the coming of the comfor- comforter. Uh, chapter 17, he prays for the disciples' sanctification, Uh, so we need to be, and then he concludes saying they need to be sanctified. There's a need for an abiding comforter and entire sanctification and the coming, coming of the comforter are synonymous in the scriptures. Then we find the prayers of the apostles, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get through all these, but we'll try it. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before the Lord, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it is holiness is God's divine will, as we've seen. Dear listener, I hope you soak in all of these scriptures. You make a study of the Bible yourself and ask yourself the question, am I holy? Am I living holy before God? Am I really saved? Is God's spirit in control of my life? Have I been filled with the spirit of God? That is what God is after in each one of us. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Give us a call. We'd love to get together with you. Uh, and come meet us out in the public square every Sunday at noon. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay slash four legalcode slash legal code.